Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. My name is Lisa Harding. I'm one of the directors of primary care here at Wessex LMCs, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Will Howard, one of our medical directors, and Dawn Childcraft, one of our, our deputy director for primary care. Um, as normal, we are recording the session so that it can be used as an audio podcast and listened um, afterwards when it's more convenient for people. Um, I think we've got one slide on the webinar today, so we'll publish that separately on the website alongside the recording of the webinar in case anybody wants to have a look at it after today's um, call. Um, as usual, we've got the Q&A box. Please, if you do have any questions or comments that you want to raise with us, put them in the Q&A and we will answer as many as we can live. If there's anything that we can't answer today, we will add it to the website when we publish the podcast. Um, so I'm now going to hand over to Will. Will, thank you. Thank you very much, Lisa. So as Lisa introduced me, I'm uh, one of the medical directors here at the LMC, for those that don't know me, and I'm a GP in South West Hampshire. Um, and anyone who attended or has listened to afterwards uh, the last uh, webinar, PM webinar we did, we talked extensively um, with myself and Laura Edwards, joint CEO of the LMC here at Wessex, um, about shared care. And we wanted to just bring this back to the practice managers to talk fairly briefly. We won't go into with quite such detail that, as Laura and I did last time, but to talk about some of the nitty gritty of shared care rather than the higher level principles, which I think we talked about. Actually, we know that shared care is something that has been going on historically, often unnoted, unnoticed and unpaid in practice for many, many years. And um, there's a couple of things that, that have come across our desk since having that uh, webinar that just make us think it's worth revisiting some of these detailed areas. And we thought we'd just mention the, the principle of shared care again. Shared care is a term used within the NHS to describe the situation where a specialist doctor wishes to pass some of the patient's care such as a prescription of a medication over to their general practice. And this is something that can be requested, um, but can only be um, carried on, can only be taken on if the GP agrees. And the GP will need to uh, consider a number of factors to consider whether it is safe for them to take on that sharing of the care. And often shared care, depending on the guidelines attached to the drug in particular, shared care will um, mean that the GP and the practice will have to undertake a, a number of monitoring, such as blood tests or in some medications, ECGs, heights, weights, blood pressure, and so on, to continue safely prescribing. But importantly, that in shared care, the GP should have the ability to refer back to the specialist for advice and support um, should uh, things go wrong with um, prescribing. So when things occur, if blood tests are abnormal, if an ECG looks abnormal, the GP often may not know what to do with that result and therefore should have simple and easy access to a specialist for the sharing of that care. And the uh, specialist should be able to advise um, efficiently and effectively and in a timely manner. Now, this is something that's going on in practices, as I mentioned earlier. Practices are often prescribing medications that require monitoring, and they may well be medications that will be on a shared cared list that ICSs are now looking at. This is particularly live in Hampshire and Isle of Wight, but it will be across all other areas as well, we suspect, in the coming months and years. Now, historically, if you have got medications that you are monitoring and are on the shared care list, it's important that you as practices understand the processes that you uh, are undertaking and that you really do have genuine shared care. That may be very, very difficult in circumstances where you are continuing to monitor a medication 
for example, methotrexate to pick a, a simple medication, but actually a patient's moved from another area on that medication, you're not sharing the care with the rheumatologist that originally started it. And you haven't had the need to refer that patient to the specialist to just share that care. So it's important you as a practice understand what your role is in monitoring of these types of medications. You may not have a shared care agreement in place, but that perhaps you have a risk assessment of that within your organization that should CQC come into your practice and go, show us all of your shared care documentations. You may well then be able to respond with saying, we don't have shared care documentation for all of the patients we're prescribing methotrexate for in this case, but we do have a risk assessment that allows us to understand the risk of monitoring, the process we have in place, and the ways in which we can go about um, seeking support should we need to if blood results become abnormal. So it's just thinking of some of the nitty gritty, what's going on at practice level and how practice might go about um, managing that risk. The next thing I wanted to mention was then taking on of new shared care and, and how this can creep in. Now, um, there's the standard mechanism by which a specialist might say, please, will you take over the shared care and it will come with a shared care agreement and you as a practice or as a PCN even may have a policy and you'll take over that shared care. Fine. That is the standard approach by which practices will receive an approach for shared care from a specialist. But I, as a GP, am quite fearful that there may be lots of different other avenues that specialists creep into our practices, asking us to do things that are perhaps not normal GMS work and should be considered as shared care. And I'm concerned that perhaps in practices, some of our team members don't know that this is a decision that requires to be made and it's just taken on, especially as we now have many more staff working in our practices, especially as PCN staff are there, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians. And I'm thinking specifically of things such as normal clinic letters. Please, will you continue prescribing this drug? Now, that's not a request for shared care. But if a team member within your practice, such as a coder, doesn't understand that that is the case, and you have a system in place where that gets passed to a pharmacy team and they just take over the prescribing, are they aware that that is a shared care drug? Are they aware that there is a decision that needs to be made and that should involve the clinical team? Um, and although we use the headline of the GP makes the decision, actually you could empower members within your team to make that decision on behalf of the practice, especially if you have a practice policy. So again, it's important to make sure that the right people within your organization understand what shared care is, understand the drugs that are on the list, and understand what the implication is of just starting a medication. An example I've come across which has made me uh, perhaps more aware of this is when uh, a patient brings a letter in from um, a service which says, please, will you take on the prescribing of this drug? And we just do the first prescription without thinking too hard about it. And then the patient is immediately given expectation that they will receive that medication. And actually, when it comes to the GP's attention more clearly, a month or two months or three months later, we go, oh, I didn't know I was prescribing this medication. It's just been signed off. I didn't think I was, I don't feel confident prescribing in, for example, gender dysphoria or ADHD medications. And therefore, I don't want to prescribe this drug anymore. But then you're having a very different conversation with the patient because you've already started the process. So we just wanted to highlight that as part of shared care, it's not necessarily a simple, here's a shared care agreement. Shared care can creep into our organizations and therefore it's making sure that we have a genuine awareness of that in the organization 
and what it means. So I've talked about some risk there. Um, and uh, I just wanted to see if there's any queries that have appeared in the Q&A and chat. And if not, um, I will happily move on. It's worth pointing out that we do have a, um, a, a really good page on our website now that describes the whole process of shared care. I know we've signposted people to it before, but if anyone's not seen that or not listened to one of these webinars before, it's worth highlighting the link to our shared care page, which I can pop into the chat in just a little while when I finished talking. Um, and, and I'd ask you to look through that, make sure members of your team have had a good look through that, and then consider what, what is the local service in your area and what we would consider as shared care drugs. If you have any queries or questions, please get in touch with the office. We're happy to answer individual queries because it is very different across the areas that we cover, um, and they're making changes to enhance services uh, across a lot of areas, and that will include shared care. Right, I'll move on from one topic which is testing a lot of practices to one which is likely to test a lot of practices in the coming months, and that is the GP contract 24-25, something that perhaps uh, will be making people either frustrated or making your blood boil in equal measure. Um, and I think it's worth us just uh, providing a few of the facts about where we are with the negotiations of the GP contract, um, because there's an awful lot of chat that's going on out there in the, in the general practice and primary care community. And so we just wanted to highlight a few of the facts. So um, factually, GPC England, so that's the Organisation General Practitioners Committee of England um, that uh, formally negotiates with NHS England and the government on behalf of all general practitioners. And they have a negotiating team, which is headed up by Katie Bramall-Stainer, who is the chair of the General Practitioners Committee or the GPC of England. And the GPC England has rejected the formal contract offer from the Department of Health and Social Care and NHS England for the contract offer that they made. The headline that most people may well have heard about is the contractual uplift of 1.9% to the pay award for delivering GMS services, and that they have stated that this is unacceptable in their rejection of the contract, um, and that the committee was clear that in order to prevent practices from reducing services or closing down altogether, a contra contractual uplift sufficient to keep practice finances stable in this stepping stone contract year is imperative. The committee have stated very clearly that their door is wide open for government to come back. They want to continue negotiations. They haven't closed the door. They will do anything they can to try and make sure that there is an acceptable contract for GPs. But they've also made it very clear about what their needs and wants are as uh, for the profession. And they've made it incredibly clear and presented a huge amount of evidence about what will be required for the contract moving forwards. GPC Executive Committee have asked, however, that LMCs make sure the message gets out to general practice that actually there is going to be a referendum held for GP members of the BMA in order to review the contract and vote upon the offer that is finally made. So we're waiting for NHS England and DHSC, Department of Health and Social Care, to come back to us with perhaps a counteroffer. Fingers crossed. We await with bated breath for that. And any updated offer will be taken to the profession in a referendum. 
and that referendum will, um, depending on what's on the table come March the 1st, will be put to the profession in a referendum and will enable the profession to decide whether or not the offer sufficiently supports general practice in England. It is important to note, however, that only members of the BMA will be able to vote in that referendum and therefore for this referendum to be a powerful enough voice for the profession, we urge all uh, practices and GPs working within those practices to look at the membership of the BMA and whether they feel it's worth investing now to join the BMA to ensure that our votes count. Without that membership, you can't vote on this. So to be eligible to vote in the referendum, you need to be a member of the BMA. It's the outstanding message. Um, there is an awful lot more detail to this on the BMA webpage. They've published a specific webpage devoted to this. And I'm going to, again, put the link to that in the chat. And again, I would ask any practice managers here to share this with the GPs working for them and including locum sessional GPs, GP registrars, um, in order that they can be made aware of the update to the contract and that therefore they can decide whether becoming a member of the BMA if they are not already and being able to vote in that referendum is in their best interests. So um, frustrating as that is um, and as difficult as that is, um, we we trust a, a very powerful and in a very effective GPC England negotiating team to move this forwards um, in order that our voices are heard. Um, I feel confident that this team will not just roll over. So as a, a group of professionals representing our profession, um, I think the General Practitioners Committee headed by Katie Bramall-Stainer is incredibly effective and incredibly powerful voice for the profession. Uh, and we will see, therefore, what comes next from NHS England and DHSC um, with our fingers tightly crossed. Um, and we will hope for the best. But equally, this process is also about planning for the worst. Um, and so we would urge you just to take a look at that web page and share it with anyone who works in your organisation. Thanks very much, Lisa. I'll hand this back to you. Thanks, Will. And I don't think we have any open questions. Oh, yes, one's just come in. So um, just in terms of the scale of this, just under half of this particular practices um, saying that just under half their employees will need to move up to national living wage, I presume that is. That's before you even look at the impact to those who are just above the national living wage. It will be crippling. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, preaching to the converted here, we absolutely know that. And, and we are giving that message very clearly. Everyone knows that. The national living wage is one of the bits of evidence that was presented to um, the DHSC in the negotiations and that the impact that that would have. And the figures were very similar to those of the number, the, the size of the investment that we'd be needed just to keep us at the status quo where we are now. The status quo being on the background of five years of 2% when inflationary pressures and pay rise pressures have been anywhere between five and almost 15% at times in the last few years, let alone energy costs, running your buildings, um, it, manpower difficulties, driving us to use more locums, which is increased costs. You know, the list is vast and this is the reality. It's an existential crisis of general practice. And I think what is clear is, is that this particular offer has made us all go, that is a line in the sand. Uh, and it's taken an awful lot for general practice to reach the line in the sand. But I think this one is a very clear and deep line. And it's one which is going to 
um, lead to the profession taking significant action, in my personal opinion. Um, but of course, that will be put to the profession and the profession will make that decision. In order to have a, uh, the, your voice heard, you've got to be a member of the BMA. So um, that, that's one of the rationales for raising this with you guys today, because I know you tend to be the communicators to all of the people who work in your organisations. Thanks, Will. And um, moving on on that slightly gloomy note, I'll um, just talk a little bit about some employment law changes that are coming in on the 1st of April. Um, it's worth just checking that you're aware of this. Some of the changes include, <clears throat> but are not limited to, a higher than normal rise in the national minimum wage, holiday pay guidance in relation to employees who work irregular hours, and an amending to the right to request flexible working so that it becomes a day one right. Excuse me. So just in terms of the national minimum wage, um, just in terms of a quick summary of that, for those over compulsory school age, but not yet 18, it will be uh, it will rise to £6.40 per hour. For apprentices aged 19 and under, or 19 and over in their first year of their apprenticeship, it will go up to £6.40 an hour. And for those aged 18 to 20, it will go up, <coughs> excuse me, to £8.60 per hour. The national living wage will be £11.44 per hour. So I'm just going to pause there. Um, apologies, I've got a little bit of a, a croaky voice to say, so I'm going to hand over to Dawn, who's then going to move on to the other hot topic, which is MMR. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks, Lisa. Um, yes, and I am just going to share my screen. Uh, I have a slide here for you today. Uh, there we go. Hopefully that is, is that sharing? Yes, it is, I believe. <clears throat> so MMR, um, I, I don't need to probably say this, you're all very aware there have been um, a lot of phone calls to practices. Uh, NHS England sent out the national call and recall for the um, patients or parents of uh, children in the cohort that may or may not have had their MMR vaccination, asking patients or parents of them to go and check with the practice. Um, this has caused an, in, an extremely large volume of phone calls into practices, as um, I know you will all be very aware of. That's uh, nothing there. But we did have some uh, something very useful and very grateful to Jenny Dock down at Hedge End. She's very um, pleased to share with you. Um, the process they followed, and it did reduce the calls into the practice. So Jenny's very helpfully um, made us aware here. The practice used Flory to, to text patients, and they text out to all patients or parents thereof uh, aged between 6 and 25. Um, and there on the screen you can see they text and said your child may have had a message from NHS recently saying you or your child is not vaccinated. Um, please see, and the link is here, we can share that link, I'll put it in the chat in a minute, please see this before contacting us. And once you've read the information, you can reply to this message if you still feel you need to check the record. The link that I'm going to put in there is to a page on their website that's got a bit of information about where parents um, or patients can go and check um, for themselves about their MMR vaccination status. If the patient does then reply um, to the uh, SMR, mess that the practice sent out um, <clears throat> it says have you checked your NHS app or red book to check your child's vaccination history uh, and please provide the names of the patients who you believe do not have up-to-date MMR vaccinations uh, we ask this as we only send one text per mobile which reduced the volume by about a quarter Jenny says this actually did 
invoke about 120 responses in the first 24 hours out of a 400,000, 400,000, 4,000, not 400,000, 4,000 patient cohort. So she felt reasonably manageable, seems to have reduced the phone uh, inquiries that they had. Um, and it said we uh, check those that have responded and either message them dates um, that they actually had the vaccine. Um, or the self-book link so that they can then book in to have the MMR. So, yeah, we're very grateful to Jenny for that. Um, not ideal. Um, we have also been in touch with NHS England or the screening and IMSS teams. They're very aware of what's going on. Um, so, um, yes, um, the point has been made, um, but that doesn't really help you uh, in this instance um, if you are receiving large volumes of calls. But there is a possible um solution there uh, if you wish to consider so that's probably all we need to say on that for now lisa thank you dawn and i'll move on to cqc so the latest in the cqc bulletin of the 8th of february um cqc tell us that their new assessment approach is now live across the whole country um they have set up a whatsapp channel where, they're, where they'll be sharing the latest updates on their new regulatory approach um, and they're also telling us that their new provider portable portal will be available to everyone very soon. Um, the hope is that the new portal will provide people with better experience when they need to submit things like statutory notifications um, and some of the registration actions. Um, they've started by inviting users of their existing portal to join the new portal and they invite all existing users by the end of February um, this year. If you've received an invite to join the new portal, they are asking you to sign up um, if you can, please. Um, so this existing portal is going to move, though, to read-only. So at the end of February, their existing portal will become read-only, and that means that practices won't be able to use it to make changes or to send them new information. Um, you will still be able to access and download your saved data until the end of March of this year. So just something to be aware of. Okay, and moving back to Dawn. Dawn, I think you're going to update us on the costing calculator. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Um, I've already put it in the chat, so hopefully that is there for everybody if they want to have a look. Yes, we do have a new costing calculator, um, and we say that with uh, thanks to our colleagues at Surrey and Sussex LMCs who devised the original calculator um, and shared with us. I'm very happy for us to share um, with all our um, practices as well. Um, it is quite a comprehensive calculator, um, so Hopefully, it will help to look at costs um, of providing certain uh, services, uh, enhanced services or public health services that you might be um, already providing, um, considering whether you want to still provide um, when you're looking at your financials. Um, like I said, it is quite a comprehensive calculator. Um, but that does have the advantage of hopefully <clears throat> giving a very clear picture um, <clears throat> of the situation um, for any service you're looking to provide or, like I said, considering renewing. Um, but because it was quite complex, we thought we'd do a little how-to video. So that's also on the page. And it just walks through the tabs that are on the costing calculator and hopefully will help you if you, you are looking to um, complete and look at any service costings um, within your practice. Um, having said all of that, of course, if you sort of look at it and think, oh, crikey, still not sure, please do get in touch with us um, because we're quite keen and think it will be very useful. Um, we don't want, um, you know, to kind of be any barriers to using it. So please get in touch if you feel you need to.
Uh, and moving on just from that in a similar vein, um, we do have a practice uh, manager calendar, uh, which is a reminder of returns um, uh, on our website. And coming up to this time of year, when we're now approaching the financial year end, we just wanted to highlight that you might want to have a look at the practice manager calendar, particularly for the new practice managers that are out there, um, might not be quite so um, familiar with all the various returns at certain times of the year, but particularly at the year end. Um, so uh, I can put that in the chat as well, but if you go onto our website and in the yellow search box, if you just put in um, PM calendar or calendar, um, it it should and does come straight up for you. And if okay, I'm going to move on, Lisa, and just mention um, the end of year, as we're talking about end of year, end of year pensions um, and PCSE. Um, the uh, NHS uh, pensions uh, were a little late putting out the uh, type one and type two uh, certificate forms, annual certificate forms to complete this year. And as such, uh, PCSE have had to move everything forward themselves as well. Um, and they were offering um, webinars um, on the end of year processes um, previously, um, back in early January. Unfortunately, because of the delay with putting out the annual forms, they have unfortunately now had to reschedule all the webinars for the end of year pension process. So, PCSE are saying, please, if you have already registered to join a webinar and received a confirmation email, would you please delete that and re-register using the button that they have got on their um, uh, bulletin that they've sent out? I'm going to put that in the link as well in a minute, um, just in case um, you can't, you haven't got the uh, bulletin from them or you can't find it in your um, vast uh, inbox. Um, there is a new button to re-register and the webinars are going to be running from Tuesday the 20th of February now, uh, various ones through to Tuesday the 26th of March. Um, hopefully um, oh, it won't cause too much problem, um, but if you do need to register for that webinar, yeah, I'm going to just put the link in the chat bar for you. And I think that's everything from me. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Dawn. Um, so a couple of items from me and one from Louise, which she's just asked me us to raise today. So um, we are recruiting to our practice manager supporters that some of you might be familiar with. So if you're an experienced practice or business manager, if you'd like to help your peers, and if you'd like to work with a lively and enthusiastic uh, group of practice managers, um, we'd really be keen for you to consider applying for our practice manager supporter roles. Um, there are only two essential requirements. One is that you are working currently as a practice or a business manager in the Wessex LMC's patch. And the second is that you have a positive approach to the job. Um, we're definitely looking to recruit um, amongst our practice managers in Wiltshire, Swindon and Baines, as we don't currently have a PM supporter from that part of the part of Wessex. Um, but we're not limiting ourselves to just one PM supporter. So practice managers, business managers from anywhere else in Wessex, LMC's area, very welcome to apply. I believe that you can do it alongside your existing role. So it, it is not sort of mutually exclusive. Um, if you are interested, please do just drop uh, Louise an email. We'll put her email in the chat. Um, applications will be need to be in by five o'clock on the 8th of March. So there's still a little bit of time. So if you'd just like to chat it through, find a bit about the, the role, just get in touch with Louise. and She'd be very, very happy to talk to you. 
Um, so that's from Louise. And then a couple more items from me. Um, you may have spotted within the Primary Care Bulletin of the 8th of February um, that there's some more information out about uh, a new Jewish BRCA training pe uh, testing programme um, that was launched on the 31st of January. The programme provides genetic testing for the BRCA1 gene and 2 gene. Is that correct, Will? I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Apologies. Um, for people with Jewish an ancestry. So that's people who have at least one Jewish gra grandparent. Um, these people are six times more likely to have a to be a BRCA character, carrier in the general population. So if anybody presents their GP with questions, um, they should be given the link to the information page um, that is available on the, um, the website, and we'll put that in the chat as well. Uh, they can register for a test through that website, um, and they can access a, a, a hotline for any counselling if they're worried or concerned. So we'll put those details in the chat. Um, and then the last item from us is some free training from NHSE, which you may have seen before, but we just wanted to mention because um, the closing date is coming up. So there's some national care navigation training available until March of this year. So practices can book one member of their team to complete care navigation training. Um, training is accredited with foundation and advanced modules available, a new online collaborative what platform supports learners and their managers to access resources to connect with peers? Um, if you're interested, as I say, you do need to book before the end of March. And again, we can pop those links and uh, the contact email into the chat for you in case you're interested. Um, so I think that was all our hot topics today. I don't think we have any open questions on the chat. Will Dawn, no, anything that's else to add? Nothing in the chat. No, thank you very much indeed. In which case, just one thing that uh, just to mention, you might want to pencil in Tuesday the 25th of June into your calendars. That will be our 2024 conference uh, for this year. We'll be inviting G uh, GPs and practice managers to the event where we're hoping there'll be lots of learning and sharing together. So you'd be, you're interested pop that date into your diary and, and we'll publish more details soon. Um, other than that, thank you, uh, Dawn. Thank you, Will. And thank you, Giselle, who's been very kindly in the background helping us in, in Louise's absence. So um, thanks to everybody on the call and look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.